Hi, this is Dan Morrell, host of Skydeck, with a quick note about today's episode. It's a break from our typical in-depth interview format. Today, we're going to tell a story. It's a story that starts with a tragic plane crash in 1944 outside a small town in the hills of northern Italy and ends 73 years later in that same small town with a celebration and a sense of closure. In August 2015, a group of amateur Italian historians who specialize in researching and preserving World War II plane crash sites were searching for remnants of a transport plane in Zavatarella, Italy. The team, Gruppo Ricercatori Arecaduti, or GRAC, was set up several years ago to help collect these sorts of relics. Piero Ricci, a Milan-based executive at the financial services firm Nomura, describes the mission this way. So it's a group of amateurs who together try to study where an event has happened, try to find some uh, relics of uh, the event, and then from what we find, we try to create web pages which kind of uh, rebuild the history to bring it back to the memory and to find also some uh, point of interest for people who don't really know about what has happened in, in the region that they live. The GRAC team had met locals who helped guide them to the site one of whom clearly remembered playing with parts from the down plane as a child. This was their third trip to the site, with previous visits earlier that summer yielding only smaller fragments. But that August day, the group uncovered something remarkable. They found some munitions and things which were on the plane. Uh, after a few hours of digging, suddenly they found something different. It came uh, reported by the metal detectors as a... Um, a piece of uh, potentially silver, so after they started to clean it little by little, uh, the name appeared and then the code uh, appeared and you know the emotion was very strong because suddenly they started to realize this was a personal object. The name started to correspond to one of the crew members and so it was really an emotional situation and um, it was such an incredible fitting for, for them. The name on the bracelet was Richard Perzik. Grack began an initial search for relatives, but had no luck and grew frustrated. But Piero, who recently joined the group, thought he could help. First, he used the genealogy website that showed him that the surname had a high concentration in the Detroit area. And then he ran a targeted search on Facebook for the name in that area. There were some hits, but no luck on a connection. But Piero had lived abroad for many years and built up a sizable personal network. Maybe he could lean on it for some answers, he thought. But when he ran a search on LinkedIn, he found a Tim Perzik who got his MBA from HBS in 2007 and was working at Twitter. And that moment I said, great, because I think I have a connection, I have a link, because as I am an, also an alumnus, I could use the database. So Piero, who graduated from HBS's general management program in 2013, looks up Tim Perzik in the HBS alumni directory and finds his Twitter account. But I spotted one thing, which made me a little bit ashamed because it looks like I was a little bit too intrusive, but I found that the gentleman at that time was having a vacation in France. So that day I said, go, I have to go, I have to find Tim because he's close by. So in June 2017, Piero calls Tim's mobile number. I was in an airport lounge in the south of France on my way to Lisbon in Portugal. And I had been on a work trip in Cannes, which is uh, a town near the French Riviera. 
I'm waiting for a flight. I'm sitting with some colleagues and we were really just waiting to board at the time when I got a call. It was a moment of difficulty. So I, I had to contain my emotion. So I said, you know, my name, I tried to qualify myself. And I think the real point was to tell him I am an alumnus of HBS. That helped to pave the way. Before he even says, are you Tim Perzik? He may have said, do you have a relative who died in a plane crash during World War II? And I was obviously disarmed by that question because, in fact, I do. But at the time, I didn't reveal that immediately. I said, I might. And I believe his response then was to give me a little bit more detail on what he knew. And he referenced the name Richard Perzik. And then he said, are you Tim Perzik? And was a gentleman named Richard Perzik who died about 70 years ago at the end of World War II, your grandfather. At which point I felt that Piero had shared, you know, enough information to clearly have some insight into my family history, but I was unclear on, you know, what his motivation was. I said, do you have a relative who died in Italy? And um, there was a moment of silence. I remember that moment like, like today because Tim was taken, I think, on something very personal and private. And, um, and then he confirmed. And at that moment, you know, it opened up a gate of feelings, passion, sentiment, which developed in, you know, what we, what we can talk, but it was really the, the really important moment of, of our connection. I corrected him and said, actually, I have a great uncle. My grandmother's brother died in a plane crash 70 years ago at the end of World War II. Piero continued and said, well, we found something that belongs to him. And I think that you may be the next of kin. And uh, you're really so close to where we found it. I just want to tell you what it is. And maybe you'd like to come and pick it up. So at this point, my instinct for <laughs> for questioning whether this might be a scam was a little bit peaked, admittedly. But Piero at that time gave me some context on who he was and um, also freaked me out a little bit. He said, I see you've been traveling in Cannes. And he said, I live, uh, I live in Milan. And I asked, well, how do you know I've been in Cannes? And he said, I've been following your travels on Twitter. And of course, as an employee of the company and, and somebody who uses the product pretty heavily, I had been posting some photos of, of our meetings in Cannes that week in the south of France. So Piero was correct on that account. He said, do you want to come to my villa <laughs> on the border of Italy and France? My wife and I can meet you there. It's probably an hour's drive from where you are today. It'll be an adventure. And... I did think about it at the time, but although Piero had gained my trust throughout that call, I felt that I needed to spend some time verifying this. I also was literally boarding a flight to Portugal. I texted my family immediately and said, you're never going to believe this. I think that somebody found something related to Uncle Dicky, and it looked like it fell from the plane. There was a mix of emotions, but really where I think we coalesced around the emotions was... 
were so thankful to have this experience. And there was a little bit of melancholy about it too, because my father, who had passed away the year prior, would have loved to know that that had happened. For him, his Uncle Dickie was really probably his childhood hero. And um, that death was very deeply felt by not only my dad, but obviously siblings and um, what would have been my great-grandparents. So uh, we were very keen to quickly share this information with the only person living who would have known who Uncle Dickie is. By that I mean who actually spent time with him, um, which is my great aunt Therese. Therese Perzik was 88, the youngest of 10 children in the Perzik family of Detroit and the last living sibling. Quickly, a plan began to form to have the Perzik family visit Zavitarello and receive the bracelet. And so, in November of 2017, 12 members of the Perzik family arrived in Zavitarello to finally bring Richard back home. Zavatarello is a quintessential small countryside town, and really that could be quintessential for anywhere, but there are some things that are just distinctively Italian about it. I'll start with the fact that it's just physically beautiful, very picturesque. There is literally one road in and one road out, and, and frankly, they're the same road. The town has, I believe, fewer than a thousand people, and it might be closer to several hundred people. And this gentleman, his name is uh, Simone Tilio, is the young mayor and a sort of a local who took over this responsibility. He is an elected official. He also happens to be the person who is the innkeeper of the only town hotel, which I think might have eight or ten rooms. So our experience was being greeted by him, being greeted by a group of local townspeople who actually come to the inn and have drinks and play cards on weekend nights. But in terms of the procession through the town, which is about a day later, really had the environment where I would say almost everybody in Zavatarello came out into the streets for this dedication. The procession I'm describing is this movement up the main street in this town from the town center to about a half a kilometer away where there is a church. And to describe the procession, I'd say it was both somber, but also celebrant. And by somber, I mean there was a bit of mist in the air. It was gray skies and people were walking quietly, but they were carrying sigils that I think reflected both the town's insignia as well as maybe that of the local province, as well as there were some folks in military dress. We walk all together with the veterans, with the family, many citizens of Savatarello, and uh, with also a little uh, military band. Uh, we walked with the mayor to the church. We had a very nice ceremony. As I said, we had a mass in the memory of Richard, the Rupnik, and all the crew members. Then we came back to the main square where we had the major and other authorities to deliver speeches. After that, there was a formal uh, event of uh, return of the bracelet, which was uh, given to a living partisan. In the town center, there was a short presentation by the young mayor, Simone, ultimately to my great aunt Therese. She, upon taking receipt of it, never let go. So it was not, no one else could hold it. <laughs> Understandable when something has been gone that long, but for those first hours, she definitely had it with her everywhere. 
I spent a great deal of time talking to my aunt, not only about our family history, just trying to get the record straight. Um, again, with, with nine siblings of hers and all of their children, I wanted to have a, a good picture of what it was like growing up for her and her relationship with her brother. Uh, what I came to understand and what I had known to some extent previously was that uh, my Uncle Dickie was really a star of the family. He had been, um, you know, not only well-behaved as a teenager, I understand was a, was a good student, a good baseball player, and his story is probably a lot like so many of these other tragedies you hear about lost during war. His life was waiting to be lived, in a sense. Relatively young man, not yet 30 at the time. His connection to the family was sort of as the rising star, the person that everybody looked to for a sense of inspiration, particularly the younger siblings um, like my great aunt. So the experience of being connected with what is really an unclosed chapter and getting that closure, that sense of, okay, this can all... uh, it's not that it can end, but I can take comfort in knowing that he came home. And I think those were her words exactly, is we're finally bringing him back. And um, I, I can't help but think about what that experience is, is like for people who um, so many times you really have, have nothing that remains of somebody who is lost suddenly and tragically, and then really almost as though there is a shout through time, something emerges that that allows you to have that moment, which truly feels like closure. And I think that's what this meant to her and to our broader family. To me, you know, from, from finding an object, to be able to become friend and hug and to create friendship, create trust and create uh, sentiment in people is a unique emotion. And so I felt that I could put and give my know-how service of uh, something totally different, but that brings people together with the scope of peace and friendship is a valuable uh, thing. And so you know, it gave me a sense of uh, proud and, uh, and happiness, and this was really confirmed by how the family, Perzik, collaborated to all this event. It taught me that people are fundamentally kind. And that's something that bears repetition, not just for this moment in time, but just because it speaks to an element of human nature. And I, I at times felt some shame, even in that early glimmer of doubt that Piero's interest in connecting with me and my family was somehow ill-intentioned, particularly when we experienced the warmth of the reception, not only from him, but from this uh, really small town. Beyond the element of the fundamental goodness of people is the point about how connected we all are. And I don't want to really overstate the role of technology because I think that we're connected fundamentally, even without our phones, even without our digital alumni networks. Sure, those things make the world feel a lot smaller. 
And I think that was our experience. You think of being a world away in a sense or a continent or an ocean away and having your life end like my uncles did. And so there's that distance. Then there's also the sort of temporal distance of this was a period of decades and uh, really the, the notion of having that sort of moment happen across time is itself um, just unusual. So uh, I don't know what to make of um, coincidences or luck or fate, but I do think that that was a moment that my family needed as an article of faith. And I don't necessarily mean through a religious lens, just faith in each other, faith in, again, human kindness and human nature, and that we don't always know all of the forces that are at work in our lives. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School and edited by Craig McDonald. It is available at iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu slash skydeck. 